We are going to be starting a brand new series today called Created to Lead. All right, Created to Lead. And we're going to look at what God's Word has to say about the fact that He actually created each of us to lead in some measure. And the fact that he did means we need to learn how to lead and we need to step up to lead. But let's look at God's word and don't just take it from me. Now today is the first message of the series and if you're a part of our church, you know I always do kind of an overview. So we're going to hit a few things really quick and then we'll go deeper in the weeks to come. Created to lead. You see, from the very beginning, we were made in God's image. And we were created to do something. Listen in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry on the ground. Two things in this verse that show us clearly we were created to govern or lead. He says we were created in his image. And we're going to look in a minute about the fact that being created in God's image means we're created like him. And he was an amazing leader. The greatest of all time. But he very specifically gives direction to humans that he created. And he says, I want you to lead this world. That's what it means to govern the world. It means to take leadership of it. A role was given. Now I know for some of you right now, you're maybe thinking, well, I'm not going to run a zoo or anything like that. That time's long past. But it is in each of us and it is how humans were created. In Psalm 23, verse 1, we learn a little bit about the God whose image we were created in. David is praying and writing this psalm, and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, the Lord wants to lead his people. He wants to lead them forward. And he leads gently and he leads with love and he leads taking them to abundant places. He's a great leader. And we are made in his image. Now maybe you're thinking, well, what am I supposed to lead? I'm just a teenager. You also have something to lead. And we're going to get to that right off the bat. You are already, as a young person, beginning to learn to lead. You see, the very first thing each of us is required to do is to lead our own lives. Leading our own lives to live a full, abundant life. And leading our own lives to follow Jesus. Now, teenagers, your parents are playing a role in that right now. But if you're a teenager, you're beginning to take leadership decisions already. One of the very first things you should choose, no matter what your age, you need to choose wisdom. Proverbs 16, verse 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold? 
And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Young people, if I can talk to you again, wisdom must be chosen to live a full, abundant life. Don't quit school because it's hard. I can tell you what, life is way harder. And it's a lot harder if you quit school. Because when you hand in that resume, one of the things they look at first, did they finish grade 12? Even for low-level jobs. Oh, if they couldn't finish grade 12, they're not going to last here. At higher-paying jobs, you can't get in unless you have some training or wisdom in the area necessary. So choose wisdom when you're young. Choose it now and move forward in it. I can tell you this, if you choose to lead your life to chase wisdom, you will be blessed. You will live abundant. You will live full. You see, Scripture tells each of us that we have the choice to choose life or death, blessing or cursing. That's a leadership decision. And it's a leadership decision you make for you. Nobody else can make it for you. Now, yes, again, parents are making some of those decisions for young people right now. But you know what? They're trying to get you to a place where you'll make them all on your own. You see, Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, we read this. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You see, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land as the Lord swore to give to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You and I have a choice where we're going to lead our own lives. We need to choose well. And something that I hear from this verse that I want you to remember. He says, I call heaven to witness the choices you will make. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we live in a very spiritual world and there are angels present and they are standing back witnessing the choice you make. They are watching. You know why they're watching? Because when you choose blessing, they get involved. When you choose obedience, they get involved. When you choose to do it the way God has asked, they get involved. But when you choose your own way, they can only stand back. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's not fair. Why doesn't God just do it? Why doesn't God just show up and bless everybody? Because he gave us a choice. You see, he came and fully loved us and made a way for us. And he's giving us a choice if we want to love him back or not. Because, see, love has to have a choice or it's not love. If you're forced to be with somebody and you have nothing in it, it's not love. And the choices you make, the angels witness. And they say, yes. You see, I have choices every day. And as adults, we have choices. 
And often nobody is telling us what to do. We decide are we going to do it or not. And as a pastor, I have the choice. Am I going to tithe? Am I going to give my 10% to God like he asked me to do? Nobody knows if I do or don't. Well, the finance person could probably add it up and figure it out. But nobody has ever asked me. Nobody has ever come to me and said, are you doing it right? The choice is mine. But I know something when I choose to. When I do it, when nobody's looking, and I choose to, all of heaven witnesses. And blessing begins to get poured out on me. Because that's what his word said. I choose life over my finances, so I'm going to do it God's way. And when I choose life, heaven pours out. You see, often the decisions we make when nobody's around can be the toughest to make, the toughest leadership choices, but you're leading you first. If you can't learn to lead yourself, you won't be able to lead others. What about the online decisions we make when nobody's looking? What about the trails you choose to go down? Are they going to bring blessing or cursing? Are they good for you? Are they choices of life or death? They have consequences, even if nobody knows. Choose life. I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes people lead themselves down trails they would never lead anybody else down. So take it as a leadership choice and ask yourself, would I lead my son down this trail? Would I lead my daughter down this trail? If the answer is no, You matter just as much as they do. Don't lead yourself down that trail. Say no. Lead yourself well. Did you know, men and women, I used that as an example, but did you know that when you allow and lead yourself down trails of unhealthy viewing, I've got younger kids, so I'm being careful how I word it. If you lead yourself down trails of unhealthy viewing, In the spiritual realm, it affects your children. Whether you like it or think so or not. Because there are spiritual things tied to it that affect those around you. And I'm not up here preaching to hurt anybody or make you feel bad. Or to give you the impression that I'm perfect and never made a mistake. You know what? I can preach really good because I've made mistakes myself. I can tell you how it is because I've never done it perfectly either. But I'm going to give you truth. And I'm going to tell you, lead yourself well. God calls us to it, and we can do it. But you make the leadership decisions for you. And you can choose to follow the way of the Lord or not. Because God won't force you to do anything. He will give you what you need to do, but he won't force you. And when we choose to sin or do our own thing, it's not God's fault. Scripture says, let no one say they were tempted by God. We are drawn away and tempted by our own desires or lusts. You choose. But I'm telling you this. When you choose to lead well, blessing comes. We need, of course, in our own lives, to choose to follow Jesus. If you choose 
to be good with finances, if you choose to do all the right things, but you never follow Jesus, you are wasting your time and eternity. It's not going to be good. So follow Jesus. You see, John 10, verse 10 said, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give him a rich and satisfying life. You see, the decisions you make for your life are leadership decisions. So lead well and live. Lead yourself well. You see, when your life is over, you can't blame anybody else for how it went. Did you know people who live in a space of all my problems are everybody else's fault, they never get out of it. Because that is an excuse that says, I can't lead forward, it's everybody else's fault. That is an excuse that says, I'll just go where I've been pushed. I'll just sit here and feel sorry for myself. That's not leading. Leaders say, there are things that happen around me, but the choices for my life are up to me. Okay? Please don't ever stay there. I've met people that refuse to go to church for years and years and years because somebody hurt them. You know what? That person was wrong and should have made it right and forgiven, but the choice to never go again is a really bad choice in leadership. Because if you're a believer, you're called to fellowship. You're called to be with one another. The second thing, if you're parents, I know not everybody here is a parent today, but as parents... According to Scripture, we must lead our children. So I'm showing you today that each of us have leadership roles. First ourselves, then as parents, our children. And we need to lead our children in two main areas. How to live life fully and abundantly, and how to serve God. This is very important, and we're going to kind of just touch on some things as we finish up today. Proverbs 22.6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, it's our responsibility to train. It's our responsibility to raise them up. And, of course, leading our children to serve God. In Joshua 24.15, it says this. It says, if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will serve. Joshua was talking to an entire nation of people. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Do you see something here, parents? It is your choice for your family while you're the parents. You have the authority as a parent to say, me and my family will serve the Lord. Now, I understand there are some situations where one of the spouses does not serve God and doesn't want to come. I get it. But you have authority to say, as for me and my kids, we're going. And you also have the authority to declare, as for me and my family, and to talk with your spouse and say, I'd like for you to come. And to pray over it and to declare it whenever you can. And I tell you what, you and your family will serve the Lord. But it's a leadership decision. 
And it can be a tough leadership decision. Who wants their kids grouchy at them because they told them to go to church? Nobody. As parents, sometimes we want to be the favorite parent. You know, I don't want them to not like me or to be mad at me, but that's not why we parent. Our parenting role is to raise them up so that when they get old enough, they will make great decisions on their own. They'll make decisions that lead to life and good things. Because if we don't, you heard the verse. It's how it moves to the next generation. You and I. Parents, lead your children well. Lead them to serve God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, listen to what it says. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Whoo! Parents, it sounds to me like you have a responsibility to teach your children the Word of God every chance you get. I thought that was the pastor's job. I get just one hour a week. Kids' ministry gets one hour a week. TikTok gets about 40 hours a week, I think, for some. Who's winning? Teach it again and again and again. Yeah, that's not just some old thing they used to do by putting pictures on the wall of verses. That's scriptural. Put it somewhere where they see it every day. Every time they pass it. On the fridge is a great place if you have teenage boys. Put it there. It's important. It's our role as parents. We must lead. We also must lead our friends. Some of you probably came today, I'm not a leader. Don't look at me. I don't want to lead anything. You're called in Scripture to lead. We need to be able to lead our friends. Of course, the same thing, to live abundantly, but also to lead them to follow Christ. You know, in Scripture, there are a number of stories about living fully and giving it to others, being generous. One story I really enjoy is an Old Testament story in 2 Kings chapter 7. And I'm just going to tell it to you this morning. But it is a story of a city that gets surrounded by an army enemy. And the army enemy... In those days, they would surround the city so that nobody could go out and nobody could come in, which would mean eventually they'll run out of food. They usually had underwater supply for the water, but food, they would run out. And this city began to run out of food, and they were starving, and it was severe, to the point that they were eating animal dung. And even there was a story of someone eating a baby. It was horrible. And the king decides he's going to blame God and the prophet of God. Must be their fault. Couldn't be that the whole nation decided to go off and do their own thing. And he goes off to the prophet. He's really going to capture him and wants to kill him. But when he gets there, the prophet gives him a word and says, King, by this time tomorrow, there will be an abundance of food. There will be more than you can imagine. 
And of course, they're like, well, that's impossible. It can't be. But wouldn't you know it, the very same day, outside those city gates, there was four lepers. Four lepers sitting. Because you see, lepers weren't allowed in the city. And lepers survived by people handing out things to them. They had a disease where fingers would fall off, toes, eventually it would kill them. And they were not allowed in the city because it was contagious, so they survived by handouts. Do you know the first thing people quit doing when it gets really tough? Handouts. I don't know how they were still alive. Maybe they'd learned to do some forging, but they were starving, ready to die. Four lepers sitting, and they had a little discussion. And they said, listen, if we keep sitting here, we are going to die. And they looked at each other and said, if we head off to the army, we're about 99% going to die. But what if somehow they decide instead to throw us some food? And they decided sitting and doing nothing was the one decision they weren't going to make. And they got up. They got up. Church, four men got up, it says, in the twilight of the day. And they started walking towards the enemy army. They started walking towards their fears. They started doing something. And when they came to that enemy army, there was nobody there. Not a single person was left. They were gone, and you could, they could tell it looks like they've run off. They went into a tent and they grabbed food and there was treasure, unbelievable treasure because that army had been plundering everywhere they went. And they said they took it and they went and hid it for themselves. And they went back for some more and all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute, this is not just for us. This is not just for us. We need to tell everybody else. And they went back and they told the king and the city and said, look, there's nobody left and there's an abundance. Come and get it. The king thought maybe it's a trap, but when they went, there was nobody. They finally found somebody and they said, what happened? How come everybody left? And this is what they told him. Well, we were all sitting around in the camp and in the twilight, all of a sudden, we heard the sound of a mighty army coming for us. The twilight. It was no army, it was four lepers with God on their side. With God on their side. And God saw their faith and he said, all right, that's all I needed. I just needed somebody to believe me. I needed somebody to get up and step out. Church, God wants to bring you abundance. He wants to bring you amazing things. If you're saved, He's brought you forgiveness. He's brought you new life. It's not just for you. Who are you going to give it to? Who are you going to share it with? Can I get you to become passionate? Don't be selfish. Well, it's for me. I don't care about everybody else. That's too embarrassing. It's for everybody. Rise up. Step out. Lead others to that abundance. Lead others to follow the Lord. In John chapter 1 and verse 45, 
We read about someone leading their friend to Jesus. It says, Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we've found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, explained Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael didn't believe him. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. And as they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Nathanael comes and he becomes a follower of Christ. But I want to point something out here very clear. Who found Nathanael? Philip, you and I play a role in leading others to Christ. Are you willing to bring them? Are you willing to see them come? Because we could sit back and pray and say, God, do it, God, do it, God, do it. And prayer is important. But at some point, you will need to get up and move forward. You will need to face your fears and say, it's okay, I can do this. I got this. And finally, we must lead our communities and world to live abundantly, and we must lead our community and world to follow Jesus. Proverbs 11 verse 10 says, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Slave Lake needs righteous people to lead. Slave Lake needs righteous people to bring blessing to it. Proverbs 29 and verse 2 says this, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. This is a place of public leadership. Politics, if you will. I believe there are Christians called to lead in politics. For too long, the church has had this mindset of, well, the world's just going to fall apart anyways, so we'll just hide out until Jesus comes. That's not scriptural. You and I are called to lead, and if you've been called to politics, please don't go into politics. If you're not called, you will be destroyed. If you are called. I'm not called to it. I'd rather fight lions than go into politics. But somebody here probably is. And sitting back and just criticizing everybody else who's in politics won't change anything. Listen, you pray about it. If you get a feeling it's you, I want to pray for you. I want to see God's people lead like they were created to. We don't sit back and complain. We lead like we were created to. And finally, we must lead our communities and world to follow the Lord. This, my friend, is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You and I are called to go to our communities and our world to lead them. Did you catch that? Making disciples means you choose to lead people. Not just hand them a little track. Not just pray for them once. You're choosing to lead people. Oh, every Christian is called to be a leader in some form.
So let me ask you a question. Who have you been leading lately? You see, mature believers lead. If you're a new believer, you won't be. You're still growing. You're still learning. But you will. Part of being mature as a believer is that you lead others the way God directs you to do it. And I want to say this today. The greatest leaders of all time also know how to follow. They know which areas they're called to lead, and they know how to faithfully follow leaders that God has put over other areas. You see, because I'm a lead pastor doesn't mean I don't have to listen to leadership in our community. Because I'm a lead pastor doesn't mean I have to lead everything in every room that I walk into. I was blessed to go to the men's breakfast the other day. And we were at the breakfast and someone kind of looked at me like they thought I was going to lead it. And I said, no, I'm just here to be one of the guys. Do what you guys do. Whoever's leading it. Leadership is what you do where you're called. And great leaders first learned how to follow. You see, because if you can't learn how to follow, you will never be a great leader. You might be able to be a dictator or somebody that people fear, but you won't be a great leader. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, the greatest call to follow was also a call to lead. In Mark 1, verse 7, Jesus said to some fishermen, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men, or leaders of men. Leadership begins with learning how to follow. Matthew 9 and verse 36, listen to what Jesus said. He said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you ever look at your community or the unsaved and think, they don't know where they're going. Do they even have a clue? They're lost. And do you care? Jesus did. He cared so deeply. He looked at his followers and he said, You guys, pray, pray, pray that God will put labors in the harvest, that God will put people who can lead them. And then he looked at his followers and he said, Today I'm equipping you and I'm making you leaders. Go out there and do what I do. Bring them in. I want to end by saying this. Choosing to follow Jesus is the greatest leadership decision you can ever make for your life. I don't know everybody here and maybe you have not made that decision yet. Maybe you've just heard about Jesus and you maybe heard how he died on a cross. Well, he died on that cross to save you. That you could be forgiven of your sin and that you could be made right in the eyes of the Heavenly Father. That you could make heaven your home when you pass from this life. He made a way. And he said, come follow me. You see, I can't talk about leadership without letting you know the greatest person to follow of all time. The greatest leader you could ever follow is Jesus. It says he was the king of kings. In other words, he leads kings. It says he was the Lord of lords. In other words, he leads lords. He's the greatest leader of all time. And he did it with compassion. He did it with selflessness. He did it with love. Come follow him. How do you do that? It is extremely simple. 
Scripture says that if you say it with your mouth and believe it in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. In other words, even if you don't completely understand everything, but you're like, okay, Jesus, I've heard this story. You died for me. You're real. I want this. And using words, God says that's how it starts. So we do this here in our church. We take opportunity to pray a simple prayer and to ask the Lord to come in. And we're going to do that today. But we're going to pray this together. And if you're like, okay, Lord, I want to be saved, pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I ask you now, forgive me of all my sin. Make me new. Use my life. Lead me. Amen.